0: I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. We've got a really special guest today, um, hit
1: songwriter Barry Dean, who is not only a hit songwriter, he's a very amazing human being. And I think you're really going to enjoy the interview. So we'll dive into that and then we'll be back. Hey, Songtown, welcome. We've got Barry Dean in the house. Very welcome. <laughs> oh, thanks for letting me be a part of this. Oh, yeah. Thanks for sharing your story. So I'm just going to read a few highlights off your Wikipedia page and your website. But Barry's a Grammy-nominated songwriter. He's had multiple number ones. Um, He's got a long and impressive list of artists that have recorded his songs. And just, you know, one thing I found interesting in your story, because a lot of our listeners are in in this boat, is that you were living in Kansas when you Mm -hmm. started. Uh, coming to That's Nashville right. and writing, can you tell us a little bit about that? What what you were doing in Kansas and how you kind of got started commuting back and forth?
2: Yeah, I was I was working in a different job. I wasn't in a band or doing music in any way. I was uh, working for an education curriculum company there. And what happened was, um, uh, honestly, I was talking to my wife, and I really hadn't I had done music till I was about twenty, and then I stopped, just cold stopped. And I love music, but I just became what uh, artist Waybook would call a shadow artist. I, if there was somebody who was trying to be an animator or an artist or a singer, I was going to encourage them and be kind of like, you ought to keep going. But I I was sort of hiding back. And um, so um, we were looking at, I got an interest in in a job in another town and I mentioned it to my wife and she made the comment, well, if that's your passion, we can do that. And I laughed and she was like, what's that about? And I was like, that's not how we're making this decision. I was in my thirties and, and I was not still, am not the guy that, you know, plays songs at a party or sits down at the piano. And I, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable in those situations. And, um, but I, I said, you know, I, I that's not how we're going to do this. And, and she was, we'd only been married a short while and a couple of years and less than that, I think, because she said, well, um, just tell me, what did you want to do in high school? And I said, well, it doesn't matter. But I wanted to go to Nashville and be a songwriter and work there. That's I wish I had gone to Belmont, maybe or you know, out of college or uh, something like that and, and tried to do that. But I didn't do it. So that ship has sailed. And and she came back within uh, a few weeks. I'm not sure how many exactly. It said, will you take me on a cruise for our anniversary? I think it was our second or third anniversary. And and I said yes. And it was an NSAI song cruise. They did a couple of them. And so Prestwood and Angela Cassid and James Dean Hicks and that group, Steve Seskin was on that one. And they would talk about songwriting in the morning, Craig Wiseman. And then in the afternoon you go do your stuff. And um I just sat in the back and took notes. Um and then uh, played a few song a song at one of the things and they encouraged me. So I came to song camps, and that was you know, I really didn't know anybody. I knew Jennifer Schott, uh, because my wife and Jennifer Schott went to high school together and I knew Jen Shot's dad, who had been a professor of mine. And then, um, then I met George Tarrant. I don't know if you know George, but he's just yeah. an incredible writer and a wonderful man. And, and, um, so uh, I never wrote with him, but you know, he would have coffee with me and, and, uh, you know, say you ought to go over here and talk to these people or go over there and, and, um, so that's i started making the trips and doing that but didn't know really anybody so it was so i understand that feeling of coming into nashville and you feel like it's kind of a walled city in a way because you don't know anybody and um, i wasn't a guitar player uh, still not a very good one but i started taking lessons from Gin shots guitar teacher ellen Britton, and uh trying to learn so i was coming back and forth that way
1: that's really interesting we have Parallel stories in a number of ways. I quit writing when I was twenty, laid uh-huh. it down for a long time because it, um, and then, um, I NSA I saw in camp was the first thing I did. That's amazing. So we, we okay, had, yes, we, we got a lot of that yeah. in common. But I was born in, I mean, I grew up in Nashville, so I did. I didn't have the commute part. So what's yeah. what started happening that made it make sense for you to move to
2: Nashville? We, um, uh, I kept coming back and forth. And and there was a, actually there was a woman, Claudia Young, who was running song camp at the time. And um, I ended up being the helper for song camp. Um, and so I was helper for several of those. And um, and then uh, somewhere in there, she said, hey, you know, you keep helping and we appreciate it. If you want, you can stay at she, her and her husband Bob's house uh, when I was here. Uh, Steve Seskin would stay there. And so I got to sleep on the couch. She slept in the guest room and I I slept on the couch. And it was a it was a wonderful uh, gift because, you know, all of a sudden I started spending more time here. And I don't know if we could have afforded to do it that whole time, you know, but she really helped us. And so I started making the trips and and then um, there was a moment when um, it just tells you how things work. I, I had written a song. Uh, called the boots of sunny red and was sung by a boot <laughs> and so you know now i think I'm like oh my god uh it was a jealous boot he was a working boot and he was jealous of a of you know gene autry's boots and um because they walked on carpet and all that mm-hmm. it was it sounds ridiculous and it was but it was it was something that i wrote and so this is just how the world works i played that song for my my first publisher meeting george tarrant set it up for me and man, not very long into that song, the guy stops and he goes, who's going to sing a song sung by a stupid boot, <laughs> which was a valid point. Right. And um, fair question. So I said, I said, you know what? Uh, I won't play any more songs if you'll let me come back a month from now and play you two songs. And he said, no one's ever done that before. And I said, well, I just feel like they're all kind of this way, but give me a month to come back with two different songs. And he said, yep, I'll do it. And he kept his word. And um, and then helped me. But that song got heard me playing out it. Like uh, at that time, it would have been Gibson Guitar Cafe downtown and Open Mic for the Bluebird and Broken Spoke. And uh, Barbara Cloyd heard it. And uh, Barbara played it for Scott Gunner, who was at Almo at that time. And uh, maybe they had just been acquired by Universal. I'm not sure. But, but either way, I got a call from him. So the very song that this guy just hated. Scott Garner liked, and so he took me to lunch at, uh, oh, you know, the barbecue place right there by Universal, uh, the pig stand. And I can't can't remember what it's called, Um, but but we went there and um, he just said, look, here's the deal, you're probably not ready, um, but I'm gonna start watching your stuff and you come play me songs because what you're doing is different and I think it could work. And the way this works is, I'm going to try to sign you right before you get it figured out at as low as I can. (laughs) He told (laughs) And he really just, he told me the whole thing. Like this is how (laughs) it works. And uh, I'm really grateful to it. And so then the next time I came to Nashville um, because of song camp, um, I'd had a song critiqued as a, I was just a participant in one of them very harshly by a pro and I won't say his name, but, he really didn't like it. I mean, but at the end of the first chorus, uh, he just threw the lyric on the ground, stopped it and said, this is a piece of trash. And, and I heard myself say, yes, but why? And he was, my recollection is he was very thorough and uh, <laughs> I don't remember what he said, but he was thorough. And it was me really trying to be commercial. So it was kind of hurtful and I didn't care. You know, I didn't say anything, but um Claudia heard from some people who were like, man, he really took a, talking to and she asked me about i said man i asked for a critique i got a critique and and to be fair i took the song to the another pro the next session because i was starting to realize the individual nature of the way we hear songs someone may i mean there is something to learning the structure of proper songs and doing the right things there's also something to People do like different things, you know, and you just got to find somebody who gets what you do, you know, and and uh, I was just starting to internalize that idea. So I I took it to I think Seskin was the next person. So I took it and had him critique it and he's chopped it up as well, but in a different way. And and so um, so that helped me. But anyway, unbeknownst to me, you Prestwood, was on the faculty and he had heard this had happened and told Claudia, get me a copy of that guy's songs. I'll decide if they're a piece of crap or not. I had no knowledge of it, or I'd had a meltdown probably. <laughs> yeah. um, but about a month or so after that, I got a phone call from Hugh Prestwood, uh, which is not a thing that had ever happened, maybe before or since. And um, he just said, hey, uh, you know, I listened to your CD this morning and I heard some songs and I didn't like all of them, but these two I really liked and, um, could I set up a meeting for you uh, with my publisher was Karen Conrad at BMG. And um, I, I'm just gonna be honest, I said, I would love that. But I don't want to let you down. You know, because he was going out on the limb for me. And, and he said, No, 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 no you don't let me down. And so I said, Well, can I have uh, another month to write some more? And so he said, Yeah. And, um, uh, so then a month came he said okay you ready to go I'm going to go to Nashville I said can I have another month and I put it off for a couple of months and then the third month my wife said you don't have to go to Nashville but you can't stay here so <laughs> <laughs> she booted me out. so I came to Nashville and I played for uh the, the uh, not for Karen but for some people at BMG and they were nice but they were you know they didn't hear anything that was a hit and and then as I was leaving, I ran into Scott Gunner and he said, what are you doing? And I said, they were shooting the video for six pack summer, Phil Vassar," And, um, and so he said, I said, you know, I just had a meeting with this guy. And he said, uh, why don't you come over and play it for me? I told you to come play me songs. So I went and played him. him. Yeah. So (laughs) I went and played, I went and played for him over at universal. I know it was universal by then. And, um, and he said, do you know chris oglesby over at bmg i said no that's not who i played for i played for this other person he said well you should play for chris oglesby because you guys are going to be good friends and i was like well i had played for the other that's okay i'm going to send you back over there so he sent me back to play for chris oglesby and then chris signed me oh, and wow. uh, it was just one of those weird occurrences that uh, that happened and the boot song was never recorded in case anybody was keeping score at home <laughs> no one anybody, ever considered it <laughs> in case anybody wants a song about a singing boot <laughs> i got you i'm ready wow. i'm watching the pitch sheets every time like
1: well <laughs> <laughs> song sung by boots so what how long was that period from the time you started coming to nashville and the cruise and all that stuff until you got that deal how long was that
2: um I think it would have been, and Jen, my wife would know exactly, but I would say two or three years before I got a deal. Cause I, like the first year we did the cruise and a song camp. And that was a lot for us, you know, to have taken these two trips and, and it was this different thought. Right. And then the next year, I think it was like 20 days, 15, 20 days, the third year, the you know, the year after that was a big jump. I think it was 40 to 60 days. I was here a lot. And then I got my, my deal, uh, at BMG and, um, and I still stayed in Pittsburgh. I am not saying that was Pittsburgh, Kansas, little town. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm not saying that was the right thing to do, but that's what I did. I was, I was still pretty nervous about Um, so, yeah, I think it was about three years um, before I got the deal. And then even after I got my deal, I stayed in Kansas for about a year and a half because I was really intimidated. And that year, the year and a half, I know I spent 70 days in Nashville and had a, my family in Kansas. So it was, mm-hmm. it was tough. you know. And it sounds like your
1: wife's been really instrumental in kind of pushing you into the things yeah. and cheering you on.
2: Yeah, it's counter the normal story honestly i mean now i will say you know we had a lot of friends back home we had a few couple two friends uh, couples that supported it and really cheerleaded it but we had a lot of people that had known me for a long time and were saying to jen secretly you know you need to talk to him you know he needs to maybe he's having a midlife crisis maybe this or that or the other you know and um and they were giving me the hey uh what's up how's the uh, little songwriting thing going you know it was <laughs> yeah exactly. it's pretty weird right I mean it was like I showed up and said you know I'm gonna be an underwear model you know and mm-hmm. for those of you listening I do not look like what you want to see as an underwear <laughs> model. and uh so um yeah I, I understand it was really difficult but she really was the one that kind of stayed on it and um and what really pushed us to move and I don't encourage this I mean I'm so glad we moved here and I'm grateful every day we get to live here and be a part of this community. And, you know, I just think there's been a lot of uh, mercy and good friends that have let me make some probably potentially catastrophic choices that have worked out okay. You know, I mean, so I stayed in Nashville while I was signed at BMG. I was still mostly like 90% writing by myself. I wrote with Don Poitras and I wrote with uh, Jeremy Spillman a little, or maybe I think I just started writing with him. And I got to write with Donnie Lowry, who was just a masterful writer. And um, so, but uh, very few co-writes. And, um, and then um, I did get to write with, I had a song that Reba liked. Um, it ended up coming out after the other one, but it was the first one. So Reba cut this song called Moving Alita that I wrote by myself, that I did not believe anyone else would get. It was very personal, it's structured improperly. Um, There's a whole lot of reasons it shouldn't have been that, but it was for me, a door that opened and that set up for me writing uh, with Tom Douglas. And uh, so he and I, then our first write was God's will, which Martina recorded and then was on uh, came out as a single. And so while that's climbing the charts, I'm really having this uh, struggle over, do we move there and go for it? Do we not? But I had sort of seen the in my mind, if we weren't going to go for it at that point with a song on the radio and a publishing deal, if I wasn't going to move to Nashville, I needed this to back away, you know, because I don't know how you do it at a certain point, you know, if you're coming from in and out of town, um, you know, you know, Laurie McKenna's like a sister to me, people, a lot of time will throw, you know, Oh, Lori's not living in Nashville. Well, true. But I happen to know the woman, I mean, she owns part of Southwest as far as I'm concerned. I mean, she is in Nashville more than I am. She's on the road, And so she's getting up at four catching that 4am flight out of Boston. Um, Every other week, at least. So she's, you know. And then there's people going up there. So she's she's really involved. But I think when I started, I needed time to get accustomed to the idea that we were going to move the whole family here and go for it. I just it was too big of a lift for me at the beginning. So and you you already had kids at that time. I did. Yeah, we had Alex, and, and then my uh, my daughter Catherine, and uh, so and Catherine, you know it really is neither here nor there, but it is in a little bit, you know, she has uh, cerebral palsy. And so, you know, we, we knew she would be with us, you know, probably the rest of our lives. She's, you know, special considerations for the house and things like that. So it really was, to me, my tendency was to think, ooh, we should play this very cautiously. Um, and I think to Jennifer, my wife, her her view of it was there's a children's hospital and better opportunities medically and therapeutically for Catherine. There's good schools. Let's go. And uh, so, and as, as Tony Arad always says, we compromised and I did what she, she said. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so we could. and we really did have an argument about it. God's will was in the charts and we were having this argument and she's arguing to go and I'm arguing the safe route to stay, which would not have been safe. I tell Mm -hmm. you now. But uh, now I can see that. And um, in the middle of that call, the landline, we had a land phone with a caller ID. It rang, and it was Tom Douglas. And I had spent two days writing God's will. And maybe I talked to him one other time at a coffee shop. So I didn't really know him that well. So the phone rings. It's Tom Douglas. We stop our disagreement. I pick up the phone. Hello, Mr. Douglas. You know, And he's like, hey, I just wanted to tell you if you were... I just thought of you today, if you were ever thinking about moving to Nashville, now's the time to do it. And I said, I'm 38. That was my response, I'm 38 years old. And he said, I was 42 and they let me in. And if they'll let you in now, I mean, if if you don't come now, you can't say you didn't get a second chance. And I said, thank you. And I hung up and Jennifer said, what do you say? and i said i don't i don't want to talk about that right now (laughs) (laughs) i want to keep arguing (laughs) so so anyway we did move uh, in the (laughs) summer and we settled into it and i will tell you you know the first i moved here and so it's been 15 or 16 years and man i'd gotten those first two cuts pretty quickly and um then the next several years were it was pretty dry you know i i I worried i had led us to the desert to die you know because Mm -hmm. you're writing and i probably was writing i think i did so many things out of fear and i would say you know if you're if you can find a place and i've had to work on this myself where you can sort of leave that at the door and let songwriting be your release your your play your your joy. And no, I know there's stuff I'm going to deal with when I walk out. But in this room, and I hadn't figured that out yet, but but it uh but well, when I did it really helped. But yeah, it was several years then. It was it was quite a few years before I had a hit song. I would get a cut here or a cut there, enough to keep my deal, you know, so to speak. And uh, but it was not good. And then pontoon happened. So
1: yeah, I think a lot of times we get we get that one hit or you know big single and we think okay it's gonna be easy from here on out you know they'll just keep keep coming in you know and that's not you know it's not the case most of us have those dry spells you know where yeah we have a couple things hit and then we have a little while when nothing
2: seems to be seasons there are seasons you know and and in some ways if you i don't know if it's true but i don't think i thought that way but i i think if you know that coming in then you can plan accordingly you know and when I was coming back and forth from out of town. If somebody's doing that, I would always think in terms of, you know, this is basically Sun Tzu, uh, you know, supply lines become very important. So, how could I, I'd watch my costs and go, you know, how can I maximize what I do during the time I'm here? And then, how do I offset costs? And, and, uh, you know, so like Claudia letting me stay at her house was a huge deal, or, you know, and I'd have a, coffee and then another coffee and then a breakfast and then a coffee. And then, you know, I I was like that guy, you know, and I'd write Mm -hmm. and I'd have a dinner and then I'd write. And I just tried to maximize the time I was uh, in Nashville. And and that probably helped a lot as well. What inspires you? What inspires you to write? Well, uh, I would say there was an article I read and I'd never thought of it, but I think it's how I process the world. I think deep down, that's my most effective, honest way to process something. If I'm frustrated about something or I'm moved by something, or you know, and so I try to note things that either make me feel a lot of joy or frustration or and I, I that's what I tend to write down are those things. And and um I'll even read uh magazines or newspapers I know I probably disagree with just to see what it'll stir up. Yeah, in me and god's will was that way it was something that popped up and you're like why is that so why'd that irritate me when that person said that and then i would just write about that for a while and and uh so and i you know i love i like to read so i am a person and i love to listen to podcasts and and all that so i i'm just constantly kind of trying to soak it in i think that's it's interesting you bring that up i, I that's so it's very wise that's so you i mean inspiration and finding inspiration is really the professional part of the job at a certain point you know how to write songs you know how things like that work i think but you what you're really looking for is something moving to write about something that matters that you want to talk about even if it's what's done henry say even a ditty should have a courage to be a song mm-hmm. you know even if it's it, it can be joy you know i i didn't write fun songs at all after that boot song, uh, because, you know, I got reinforcement and success from really sad ballads. And so, and I was a music, I saw myself as the music guy, not the lyric guy. And then it was over time, I changed over to going, gosh, you know, I haven't left a co-write that didn't, that was going, boy, we almost had it, but we couldn't come up with the music. It was always the lyrics. <laughs> so right. I thought, I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna learn how to write lyrics better, you know, and. Uh, and so then I really focused on it. But I'm kind of rambling about I, I also study. Uh, I love listening to comedians talk about their craft, not so much their stand up. Mm-hmm. Because there is a there are parallels, I think the processes they go through, there's a whole lot of rejection they go through. Um, and it and it is a small community. And there's very few people and they kind of all know each other. At, Um, And you've got to find your own sort of thing. So uh, I started listening to this Mark Maron podcast where he interviews uh, comedians. And I have to say, I've listened to, I'm not a huge Mark Maron fan. Honestly, I always skip the first 15 minutes while he's talking about stuff and just get (laughs) right to the interview. But I like hearing about their different processes and, you know, things they're doing to work their way through what is a, you know, they have nowhere to hide. I can at least go, well, they don't like my guitar playing or they don't like country or they don't, but man, it's just a 50 or 58 on a stand there. It's you. They don't like yeah. you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's pretty clear.
0: It's brutal. It's brutal. It yeah,
1: you know, I love what you said about the, uh, the professional piece being, being able to find things that inspire you. You know, sometimes I'll have an aspiring writer ask me, uh, what do you do if the muse doesn't show up? And, and I said you have to learn to make the muse work for you not the other way around. Yeah. You know I mean or, or yeah. you won't you won't last long if you, if you can't find ways to inspire yourself. And and I th- and I think that piece for me takes more work than just about any other aspect of it cuz I'm I'm like you I'm reading I'm listening to podcasts I'm always searching for those things that uh, inspire me or make me feel something.
2: Yeah, I heard someone say everybody has an idea for a song they think should be written in the world. And that our job is actually to have a 1000 of them. Exactly, and yeah. and th- that's the difference. And, and boy, that's true, what you're saying about being in the room. And, um, you know, I'm, I am, I'm all for inspiration, just giving you, you know, the clear picture, the 15 minute song. Um, and, that, and that has maybe happened to me, it has happened to me, but not very many times. Mm -hmm. But I do think there is some that's a pretty arbitrary thing. You look at the great TV writers and the great movie writers, the great comedians, they make a consistent habit, the great novelists as well. And I think if it wasn't creative and if it wasn't um, truthful and organic and real, all of those people wouldn't be using the same process, which is I show up to the page and I respect the process. And and I do my best. Now, the other thing I would say is for me, um, I kind of I'm like you, I, I turn my room into a, a bunch of tools. You know, I'm just going to make tools. So I had uh, four dice, die, I would it multiple of them mm-hmm. uh, in a Yahtzee cup. And sometimes people would show up and they'd be holding the guitar and they'd say, I don't have anything. And I said, you really don't have anything. Yeah. And I would roll the four dice. One, six, five, two. Play it. (laughs) If you really don't have anything, Mm -hmm. play one, six, five, two. And sure enough, the guitar player would play it and pretty soon it'd be one, five, something. They would change it. Uh But it was, what was really happening was I needed to establish in the room this we needed to remove fear We needed to remove filters and we need to establish a sense of play you know that we're gonna the other thing i started doing was recording everything because i noted that i'd been in several rights where we're writing song a whatever it's called you know roping or whatever and you're writing that song and you get a verse and a chorus but you can't really figure out where to go and and then all of a sudden somebody says some great idea you know and whatever that that is you know it's uh i thought that he walked on water and it'd be this and this and this and everybody in the room goes ah oh, that is a hit idea and they go back to writing song a so i thought well i'm going to record so when that happens right. i can say i've got everything saved right where we are we can come back to it let's jump let's follow that thing that lit us all up you know no, and awesome. uh if it's done wrong you know you end up chasing six songs and then, then you'll know you need to settle down and write one of them but uh but exactly. every now and then i've had success with that i feel like um girls chase boys with ingrid came out that way diamond rings and old bar stools was a a, a, a song that was written that way where we slog through something for some reason working out our chemistry and then right as we got ready to give up somebody said it and it flew through the room and we saw it and we all lit up and we knew that's the thing yeah. and the ability to put that down and go get it without worrying about it. Um, so that's another thing I, I try to do in the room to help. That's brilliant. That's the way it must
1: be doing something right. happened too. you know, we, we just yeah. ditched what we were working on and we, we wrote it, you know,
2: yeah, there it is. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Barry, thank you so much for your wisdom, for sharing your story. And uh, I know a lot of people can enjoy hearing this
2: oh thank you for letting me be a part of this this is exciting thank you so much you're welcome take care this is great this is cool all right take care
1: hope you enjoyed that and you can check out barry dean's music he's written some great songs um we've got a question coming up clay is going to answer one from our ask marty and clay forum on songtown it's a
0: common question we get
1: and so i'm going to turn it over to clay
0: Today's question from the Ask Marty and Clay Songtown Forum comes from AJ. He asks, when you sign a staff writing publishing deal, how many songs a year does your publisher expect you to write? Well, AJ, most songwriting contracts require the writer to turn in 12 whole songs a year. And if you're co-writing with one other person, then that would be 24 songs a year. If you're co-writing those songs with two other people, that would be 36. Although your contract calls for just 12 whole songs per year, that is really a minimum most publishers are going to expect you to complete three to four songs a week. And that can be a challenge when you first start out as a writer. I remember my first publishing deal with EMI, I signed, and the guys around me were writing three, four, or five songs a week, and I really struggled my first year to come up with that. It took me a couple years to kind of build up to that speed. But it's really what's expected. A great publisher is going to be hooking you up with co-writers. They're going to be hooking you up with artists to write with producers to write with and you've got to be able to show up on any given day and write a completed song most of the time the added benefit to that is your tools are really going to be sharp by all that writing and when you get those moments of great inspiration you'll really be able to write the best song you can but remember, ultimately, it's not about the number of songs you write. It's about the number of songs that you're getting recorded and released. That's going to keep your publishing deal. So thanks for the question, AJ. I'm going to throw it back to Marty. All right. This is a
1: podcast about songwriting, so we have to have a song. Uh, this song is called Miss the Heat. It was written by Deborah Gussin and Stacey Hogan. And it was the debut single by Alexa Piva, winner of Ottawa Idol in Canada. I think you're really going to enjoy it.
3: To go, I said,
1: You enjoyed that, and this whole episode. Again, that was "Miss the Heat," written by Deborah Gussin and Stacy Hogan. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate us, follow us, subscribe, tell your friends—all that kind of stuff. Uh, in the show notes, we've got information about Songtown. We've got information about uh, the the writers of the song that you'd heard and the artist about Barry Dean. We've got all kinds of information there uh, as well as some information and links to uh, some books that Clay and I have written. One about lyric writing called Song Building and one on co-writing called The Songwriter's Guide to Mastering Co-Writing. So check those out. We hope to see you next Tuesday and thanks for listening.